last week, Teresa and I were on vacation. Um, we went down to the Gatlinburg area. We're really not Gatlinburgish sort of people, I suppose, but uh, the deal was right. You know, this is, I think it's the first time Teresa and I had a vacation where it's just she and I, where it wasn't a conference or something, just she and I on vacation without the children in like two decades. And, uh, you know, I remember telling her, this is fascinating. The only bad attitude I have to worry about here is my own. And it was just a, a, a glorious, a glorious time. We did a handful of tourist stuff. We then uh, uh, drove over to Billy Graham's place in Asheville, North Carolina. If you've never been there, you should be there. Uh, it was wonderful. They had a conference uh, for us, uh, pastors. Then on the way back, we were coming back through, uh, you know, eastern Tennessee, beautiful, and country, 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 and all of a sudden there was this huge factory. I mean, just massive factory out in the middle of nowhere. And what is this? And there are all these signs, you know, bushes, baked beans, pier one, pier. And it was where they make bushes, baked beans. And uh, on the other side of the road, there was this huge uh, general store, bushes, baked beans, general store, and museum. Uh, you can't just pass Bush's Baked Beans Museum, for crying out loud, right? So we, went, we go to this, this Baked Beans Museum. I, I'm laughing. I think this is hilarious, a Baked Beans Museum. You know what? It was one of the best museums. It was, they did a great job. They did an incredible, free samples. It was, it was a wonderful uh, experience. We just, we just relaxed. We laughed. We had, we had a fun time. You know, vacations, even if you do your best and you're going nothing but Groupon, uh, but they can be costly, can't they? The, the, for American families who carry a credit card balance, the average debt is $16,000. Average credit card debt for families that carry a balance. A while back I was uh, listening to John Ortberg and he was give this, gave this illustration. He said, if you had a credit card and you, you ran it up to $10,000, and if you notice the fine print in the back that no one ever reads, well, well let's just say your, your interest rate, your glorious interest rate was 24.99%, uh, which isn't really out of the ballpark. And you paid back the minimum, minimum payment of $213.58 a, a month. You, 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 you did that uh, for 10 years. You paid it for 10 years. At the end of 10 years, you would have paid Twenty-six thousand. Let me just get the exacts here. Nine hundred and thirty dollars. Well, you, you've only started off with a ten thousand uh, dollar deal, but at the end of, of, of ten years of paying this thing, minimum uh, payment, you would have paid off twenty-six thousand nine hundred and thirty dollars. It's worse though. Your balance. This hasn't been paid off. Oh no, no. Your balance now. Remember, it started at ten. Would be eleven thousand seven hundred and thirty dollars. And then let's say you wanted to take this on for another 10 years. Why you would, I don't know. But let's just say you're going to pay this, you keep going 10 years, paying the, the minimum uh, monthly payment, $213.58. Uh, at the end of 20 years, you now have paid over $56,000. And your balance is now upward $13,000. And if you continue this madness on for 50 years, for whatever is you're doing, but if you do this for 50 years... At the end of 50 years, remember you just started off with a $10,000 balance. You will have paid $165,000 and your balance will now be $17,515. Now, I, my name is not Dave Ramsey, you know, but I'm telling you, it just does, it sounds like a trap to me. It doesn't sound like a good thing. Uh, 
There's different reasons for this kind of deal. Greed is primary one. Greed on behalf of the credit card company. But greed also, I know there's no simplistic answers, but often greed on behalf of the folk who go that route. Because it's like an addiction to consumption. I've got to have now. Because if I don't, I'm going to be missing out on something. Uh, Madison Avenue hires the biggest and the brightest and the best and they pay them a lot of money to try to, to help us be discontent with our lives. We just need, or we're nothing. And so we, we, we are, are committed to this and we run ourselves into a, a major hole. It's fascinating. We're consuming more than ever before and yet you, you would think that's what gives us happiness and, and yet the dissatisfaction with life Western world, it's at an all-time high. Now, Christian Smith, uh, he's a sociologist out of University Notre Dame. Uh, He did a a, a major, major study just a while back. Fascinating study. Got to keep this in mind, though, that this study was not done by a church. It was not done by a parachurch organization just trying to get your money. This, this, This study was done by the University of Notre Dame. Very prestigious, no skin in the game, as it were. And, and this is what, what he finds. He said, people rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are still related in a curious way. Happiness can be the result not of spending more money on oneself, but rather of giving money away to others. Generous financial givers are happier people. They, they go, he goes on in this, this, this study, fascinating study, it, it, examining all kinds of different uh, variables, but different um, uh, levels of people's happiness, of people's satisfaction with their relationships, of people's physical health, of people's satisfaction and purpose in life. And on every single instance, generous people are more happy than those who aren't generous. Generous people are more healthy than those who are not generous. Generous people are, are more satisfied with their relationships, have more purpose in life than those who are not generous. The, the, the gap is, is wide. He goes on and he says this. He says, generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. And letting go of some of what we own, we ourselves move towards flourishing. This is, this is secular. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? If this had come out of any Christian university, as it were, you know, very evangelical, fundamental university, we would think, oh, this is probably... But this very reputable, more secular perspective. But we don't need this, right? Because scripture tells us the same stuff. Way back when, 4,000 years ago, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, buddy. And I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the whole world. God's purpose always in blessing was so that we would be a blessing. That's not so we would be okay with ourselves, but so we would give it, so we'd be a blessing. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. It's important to know that they didn't take up a collection after Jesus said that, right? He wasn't trying to play on anyone. He was, he was just stating a fact. And even though it seems counterintuitive, this stuff I think is going to make me happy because that's what Madison Avenue's been telling me. Giving it away is what makes us happy. Um, this 
makes sense when you think that we were created in the image of God, right? God so loved that he gave because that's what love does. And if you notice what he gave to finish the verse, he didn't give an angel. He didn't give even the best angel. He gave his own child. As, as a parent, I'm willing to lay down my life multiple, multiple, multiple times before I would give up my child. God gave the absolute best because that's what it does. Second Corinthians, this is, this is a cool verse. Check this out. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And if we've got Jesus through the Holy Spirit within us and we're plugged in, it would make sense that that spirit of generosity would just be part of the deal. Now, I I think that there is no better case study in the New Testament for this whole deal than Luke 19. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Luke 19, as you're turning, let me kind of lay the groundwork for this. Or, you know, turn on your Bibles, whatever whatever you're doing these days. Um, Luke Luke 19, but let me give you the background on this. It starts in Matthew 6. And Matthew 6, no one, Jesus is talking here, can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. You would think it should say God and Satan. It doesn't say that. You would, th- you would think that that's where he would go, but Jesus says, no, no, you can't serve God and money. Now, think with me on this for a second, because okay, he's talking to people who are dirt poor. And he is, he is laying it on the line, letting them know that, that the number one competitor for their heart, the number one competitor for, for, with God for their heart is money. And when you consider that by, by biblical standards, every one of us are, are rich, and we live in a world where we're so inundated with, with uh, the, the voices of Madison Avenue, we've got to take this seriously. Well, this, this is... This, Chapter before Luke 19, you got Luke 18, right? Listen, this is, this is fascinating. Because a, a gentleman comes to Jesus. He's a good guy. He's an outstanding citizen in this culture, society of very biblical literacy. So he's a high-standing religious sort of guy. He says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commands. You know, follow God's word. And he says, well, what commands? And Jesus rattles off some the Ten Commandments. And the guy says, well, I've kept all of these. Now, we don't want to get into whether he, he did or, or, or not. But, but think for just a minute. Jesus looks at this guy and says, yeah, in me, in one hand, you're holding on to me and you're holding on to my word and you're holding on to trying to be good and, and religious sensitivity and, and knowing the Bible. Yeah, in one hand. But what's in your other hand? And the guy says, well, what other hand? And Jesus says, yeah, the hand behind your back. Oh, this hand. Yeah, 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 that hand. What's in that hand, I think, is holding your heart. And you need to know, you know, don't two masters. You can't hold on to me and you can't hold on to mammon. So this is what you need to do. Go and sell everything you got and give it to the poor. Then you can follow me. And the guy's going, I don't think so. I don't think we can do that, Jesus. Thank you very much. Get into Luke 19. And Jesus is going to talk about somebody else who is a foil 
to the rich young ruler. I mean, Luke is planning this out, right? So somebody who's a foil, just opposite of, of rich young ruler. This guy's name is, you know him as Zacchaeus, right? And Luke 19. It says, Jesus, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And let, let us know who this guy is. IRS, by the way, you don't want to mess with the IRS, right? You don't, don't, don't fight with the IRS. You never want to cross an IRS agent because they have got a, a, a toolbox that you would not believe, right? They can uh, freeze your assets. They can levy liens. and, and they, they can do all kinds of stuff to make sure that you are paying the government what they say you owe. Well, Zacchaeus was a, a IRS man for the Roman government, Right, he, he was, he was a, the way these guys got this job, this tax collector job, very lucrative job, is they would bid it. And so these, all these guys would bid to the Roman government how much money they thought they could bring into the Roman government for area. Now you couldn't overbid because basically Rome was sending you a bill when it, when, if you got the, 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 the job. And so, but they would bid it out. And then any money above that that you collected, well, that's yours. We can collect whatever. They didn't. So, so these guys, these tax collectors, are, are uh, contracted with Rome. And because of that, Rome sent them some muscle, some, some guards, some, some um, people to help bring some incentive to individuals who might think they don't need to be given right. And, and so, so when you saw Zacchaeus coming, it was usually going to be a sh- shakedown time. You know, it was not going to be good. It was, it was a deal. The scripture lets us know it goes beyond that, right? He was the chief tax gatherer. He was the, the art tax gatherer. He was the godfather. You know? I mean, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. That's only in stature. Other than that, there was nobody bigger in Jericho than Zacchaeus. He was the kingpin to the Jericho tax cartel. You know, he was, he was the godfather and, and everybody feared him. And there was nobody more powerful or more rich other than the governor himself than Zacchaeus. When he walked, people were afraid. He was, he was the man. Cost him a lot to get there, though. Cost him a, a lot to get there. Um, verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I think we, we need to, to, to mention that wealth does not equal Unrighteousness, right? Wealth, according to scripture, is dangerous. Well, it's easier for, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved, Jesus would said after this rich young ruler walks away. Uh, so riches are dangerous, but it's not unrighteous. It doesn't take uh, but a cursory glance of scripture to come across Abraham and David and Solomon and Lydia and Nicodemus and Philemon. Riches you do not equal ungodliness. You can be wealthy and godly at the same time. Same way, you, poverty does not equal, um, does not give you a pure heart. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're not stingy or greedy. Luke chapter 12, interesting, interesting text. Do we have that one? 
He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, that's all greed, or all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There are different kinds of greed. You know, there's the conspicuous consumer greed, right? Where a person, you know, has got the Dallas disease, is, you know, fake it till you make it. It's just, it's just, you're gonna spend, because spending is fun, man. It's just fun, and you have a good time. This was the, the prodigal son. It was just fun. It's good times, and you don't want to miss good times, so you spend. It's a conspicuous uh, consumer. But then there's also the um, obsessive security saver. And this person may not be spending a lot, but they know you have to plan for a rainy day. And since you don't know how big the rainy day is going to be, you might as well plan for a typhoon, man. And so they are just saving every, you've got to save, 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 because their security is in their money. Their money's all about security, not the other guys that was fun. No, it's security. And then there are, of course, the, the uh, uh, power players where my, my money is a way that I influence and it's the way that I manipulate and it's the way that I control and it's the way that I am in charge. Money for them is being in control. There are different, different hats that, that greed wears. And so we don't want to think that, that wealth is, 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 is wrong. It's not, greed is never the size of your bank account. It's the size of your heart. Remember the Grinch? Right? He's got this itty bitty heart. Greed is the size of your heart, not the size of your of your bank account. And you got you got Zacchaeus. He, he's, he says he's small in stature, and I know Luke's letting us know what he's doing up in a sycamore tree. That's why he's tr- telling us this. But you got to wonder if something more is going on. Being a little man in a big man's world can be can be a difficult. Uh, I, I, growing up, I, I, I was on both sides of this fence, and uh, you can say, are you Charlie the city man? <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that Zacchaeus was the brunt end of, of jokes. I can imagine that Zacchaeus was bullied. I can imagine that Zacchaeus, would, he was the victim of verbal stonings over and over again, and as a kid... What's that doing? What's that doing to him? And, and I, I wonder if he's trying to be accepted and be in, but he keeps getting pummeled because of, of his stature. I wonder if he's ticked off at God a little bit. God, why did you make me this way? And, and what are you doing? You could have changed the circumstances. And so what he does is he turns his back on all those people who turned their back on him. I'm going to show you. I'll show you who, who's bigger. I'll show you who's in charge. And so when he's exacting taxes from these guys who maybe bullied him when he was a kid and throwing them or their family in jail if they don't come up with the money, I wonder if there's just a little bit of vengeance going on with with him. And so God could have changed things and God did not. And so he's, he's... Zacchaeus is, is he's on the he's on the top of the, the heap at this point. You know, he's he's king of the hill, dunghill though it is, he's in charge, and he has made any friends along the way. Perhaps it's kind of lonely. He's got everything you can imagine going for you, but yet he's got this massive hole in his heart that you could drive a freight train through, and so he 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 hears Jesus is coming. And so he crowd must have been huge. I'm sure if he could have got to see Jesus any other way than climbing a tree, he would have done it because in this culture, uh, there was a, a, uh, it's a shame-based culture. It was, a, it was all about respect. 
And the Godfather does not, no, no guy, but especially, you don't climb a tree. Uh, but this shows you his desperation. Maybe you'd heard about Matthew, who was a tax gatherer. Now, maybe he was friends with Matthew. We, we don't know. Maybe Matthew was in a different jurisdiction. But this guy's kind of had a brotherhood. They were all hated by everybody because they were, uh, they'd hurt everybody. And so he, he knew that Matthew walked away from this kind of career to follow Jesus. And so he's, he's just wondering. He's wondering so greatly that he, he climbs this, this tree to see Jesus as the parade is passing by. Parade's passing by, right? And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Uh, Zacchaeus is up in his tree. The parade is going. And just when, you know, Jesus is kind of nodding. You know, he's going, Jesus, it's a parade. It's happening. And all of a sudden, right by Zacchaeus's tree, Jesus stops it. And Jesus kind of looks over. I don't know if the branch is hanging over the road and Zacchaeus is right there. But whatever, he's right there. He stops and he catches eyes with Zacchaeus. The most notorious sinner of the whole, everybody. Zacchaeus is the one who made many Jewish children go to bed hungry. Zacchaeus has got his nice robes on and his gold jewelry, but he, he got that stealing, basically, that was, that was earned on the backs of poor Israeli peasants. He's, Zacchaeus is the one that stamped on the Mosaic covenant. I don't need God. Zacchaeus was as unclean as you could possibly be. Zacchaeus was a collaborator of, of, of Rome. He helped Rome tighten their grip on Israel's throat. And now he's face to face with the Son of God. The one who gave the covenant. This is talking about an awkward moment, right? And so it's like, well, what is Jesus going to say to this guy? I mean, everyone in the crowd knows. Everyone knows the Godfather. They're all, they're all aware. What's Jesus going to say to him? But Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, and he looks past the flowing robes, and he looks past the past, and he sees a guy who society has hurt, he sees a guy who's wallowing in his sin, a guy who, who, is, who is looking for him. And so Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down. Don't you know I got an appointment at your house tonight? Now, this is an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. A couple reasons. First of all, Jesus, Zacchaeus does not invite Jesus into his life, right? Jesus invites Zacchaeus into his. And, 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 Relationship was this, eating at someone's house was a sign of deep friendship and relationship. Uh, it's, it was a sign of, of loyalty. And so I can imagine the people thinking, for crying out loud, you know who you're dealing with, Jesus. You couldn't got a worse sinner of, of, of us all. And, and, and Zacchaeus also knows that everybody there, everybody it deserves a relationship with Christ more than he does. But Jesus, no, no, no. Zacchaeus, let's go. I'm going to your place. I want relationship with you. Zacchaeus, come on down. Come on down from your trying. Come on down from your, your, your wrestling. Come on down from your, your climbing. You're going, you're going the wrong way. You've got to come down from, from your, your perch if we're going to be together. And, uh, 
He says, grace fills Zacchaeus. I mean, he's just overwhelmed. He's not, he's overwhelmed. He understands for the first time true riches. He, un- he understands what friendship is. Never had a friend before. Everyone treated him poorly or was after him or trying to get something from him. He never understood this before. Relationship with Almighty God. And so what does he say? And Zacchaeus stood and said um, to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Whoa, little buddy, you don't need to go down that road. No, no. Jesus said salvation has come today. This is, this is, this is interesting. Because he's saying, I'm going to give 50% of my stuff away to the poor. And Jesus could have said, hey, Zacchaeus, now calm down. Calm. You're just a bit emotional. I understand this. But the law says you only have to give you know, you know, 10% away. What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing here? You don't have to give 50% away. That's a bit too much. It's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus doesn't ask Zacchaeus to give stuff away. And Zacchaeus doesn't ask Lord, how much do I have to give and still be cool with you? you know, I mean, how, how much, is that before taxes, Lord, or after taxes? You know, those are not questions, this, those are not questions generosity asks. That's, that's not a part of the picture. That's, it's not, it's not what, we're not talking about uh, tithing here. Right? You, you, you understand, right, that you can be, you can tithe diligently before taxes and, and be stingy and greedy. Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe unto you Pharisees because you tithe dill and mint and cumin, but you reject the weightier measures of the law. And then in Luke 16, verse 14, same group of people, exact same group of people, Holy Spirit says, now the Pharisees who loved money were angry with Jesus. The reason why they're angry with Jesus is because he's just talked about generosity. May I just throw this out, just throw this out. Uh, folks sometimes get ticked off at the pastor for talking about money. Uh, okay, write, write me the letters. <laughs> sometimes folk get ticked off at the church. Church is an easy target, isn't it? You know, church, church always talking about money, talking about, but may I just suggest that perhaps the anger that you might feel is really is directed towards him. Because Jesus talks more, other than the kingdom of heaven, Jesus talks more about money than he does prayer, than he does Satan, than he does, Jesus talks more about money than anything. Two-thirds of his parables given to poverty-stricken folk are beware of greed. I'm just telling you, beware of greed. It'll slip in in a subtle way. You won't even see it. Greed's one of those things that, of course, that's not me, man. That's I can name other people. That's not me. Uh, she says, no, no, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. A regenerate heart, the, the surest sign of a regenerate heart is a generous heart. The, the surest sign. Isn't this interesting? Jesus doesn't, doesn't look at what, what, what Zacchaeus here has done. And doesn't, doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, uh, today salvation has come to this man because he's got a pure doctrinal statement. 
Salvation today has come to this man be, because he, he's, he says kind things to people. Not, the surest sign that this guy was chained was his, his generosity. The, the God that had sat on the throne of Zacchaeus' heart for, for decades has just been deposed. The, the, the Messiah God has staged a successful coup and this guy is, he didn't even know that the finances were, were his chains holding him down. He thought they were the source of freedom. But he didn't know that they were the thing that was killing him. But he's been set free. And for a soul that's been set free, when, when a heart has experienced that grace, a heart has been opened to the grace, and a wallet follows shortly. It does, because a, a generous heart is the surest sign of a regenerate heart. It just is. There's not a whole lot of room in Scripture for a stingy Christ follower. There's just not a whole lot of room for that. You might say, well, listen, I think I'm regenerate. I, 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 I trusted Christ, I, but I'm wrestling with this, with this generosity thing. I'm just telling you, I'm wrestling with it. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I hear you. Let's, let's, let me mention four, the evolution of, of, of generosity here, okay? Because this, this helps us. Not everybody hits the same, goes through that same road as, as, as uh, Zacchaeus does it doesn't start off that way we need to get there but it doesn't start off that way first type of giver is is the the no giver no giver gives nothing right he just gives nothing. now Christian Smith in his book mentions that one in five deeply committed Christians give nothing Nothing to a secular cause, nothing to a religious, nothing charitable in any way, shape, or form. One in five. Now, we're not talking about folk who claim Christianity but never go to church. These are folk that go at least twice a month. These are people who consider themselves deeply religious. One in five give nothing. The IRS says that 26% of the, of the, the tax returns, they, they list nothing giving to any charitable cause whatsoever. And, of course, the reason is, there's a reason why, well, I would give, right, but... I can't afford to. I, I, don't, I don't have the money to give. If I had the money, see, I, I would give. If I was real wealthy and all, but I, I, I don't. I don't have to give. It, Christian Smith is fascinating. He says, says well, that's a good excuse, but um, Americans seem to have money for other things. In 2005, Americans spent $27.9 billion on candy. Uh, 92.9 billion on soft drinks, 67.9 billion on television, 36.5 billion on pets, toys, and playground equipment, 24 billion on DVDs, over 100 billion on fast food. These are all what would be considered in most of the world as luxury items. Now, listen to this, what he says here. Fascinating. He says, generally, between 1959 and 2000, while the financial giving, giving by American Christians was declining, the personal consumption expenditures of Americans increased for eating out in restaurants, for toys, for sports supplies, live entertainments, foreign and domestic travel by U.S. residents, lottery tickets, casino gambling, photography, sports, recreation camps, and other entertainment expenses. These are things that would be considered luxury items. And what's happened is we have built a lifestyle where these luxury items are considered necessities. And so I don't have, I can't afford because I have my necessities that I have to, to, to be all about. So there are, there are no givers. And then there are, second category are the slow givers. 
Now, the slow givers are folk who give slowly. They give sporadically. They might not really be interested, but they see a starving child. You know, and it's like, oh, the starving child. And, you know, oh, and so that's like, oh, I guess I need to. Often giving to ease their conscience. I, I don't know if this is true. I've always been told it's true that the IRS has a special account that you can give to um, anonymously if you have in your mind, ripped them off at some point. You can give to this account. And uh, there is a letter that came in. It said, Dear IRS, please forgive me. Enclosed is a check for $1,000. If my conscience does not feel better, I'll send the rest. Often we give just to, and we say, you know, yeah, I give, man. Remember that one time and I saw that thing and a starving kid and so I gave, but sporadic givers. Now, those are the slow givers, but then there's a third category, which are the grow givers. Now, these guys have learned a principle from scripture. Okay, this is not just making this up. First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, look at this. Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, not once in a while, uh, each one of you, not just some of you, is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So you see the, the principle here. The principle is, is regular giving, not, not based on my um, emotions. I saw something that kind of, oh, I better give. It, it's, it's intentional giving and it's, it's in relation to your income, proportioned to how much you, you, you've made. Folk will say, well, what is that proportion? This is where a tithing thing comes in, right? Folk right away say, whoa, man, 10% is, I don't know, it's before the tax, before that, you know, I I don't know if I can deal with 10%, and since I can't right now, because I got all these other bills and stuff, I just won't do anything. No, 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 listen, listen, listen. God's plan for you and for I is is to not be a no giver not be a slow giver but to be at least a grow giver right where you you move in and you say no I am going to give regularly intentionally and I'm I'm going I'm going to give in proportion to my income and maybe it can't be 10% right now don't don't go down don't worry about that that's 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 law and I'm off for tithing but it's a whole different message Um, but say I'm going to start giving something Regularly, and I'm going to give it intentionally, and I'm going to give it in proportion to my income. Please, young folk, people in college, don't be saying, I'm going to start this, see, when I get out and start making big bucks. You won't. You just won't. You need to drive. This text is not just for people making big bucks. It's for, for everybody. And so you, 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 you give regularly. You give intentionally. You give, with the idea, I'm going to move up. I'm going to start here, but I'm going to move up. And here's the reason. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to be generous? But right now, I'm really not. I want to be. But just, where, your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you obey and you start giving accordingly. There's a fourth category of givers. So there's the no giver. There's the... Slow giver, there's the grow giver, there's the whoa giver, right? I wanted the wow giver that didn't rhyme, so it's whoa giver, whoa giver. These are the people who give sacrificially. Fascinating, just in a couple of chapters, right? Uh, Luke 21, Jesus goes to the temple. Now, the temple area is like the size of the mall, huge area. 
And he could go to a lot of places in the temple, but he positions himself just outside where they're taking the offering, and Jesus watches people putting in the offering. And you might say, that's so rude. Come on, <laughs> this is private. This is between me and, and God. I, I, this is Jesus, so he's watching us. And I would say that he watches every offering. It's just, he's, God is... And he looks, and people are coming in, they're dumping in lots of money, and he's kind of there, and it's, oh, wow, didn't that guy give a lot? Yeah, he gave a lot. And all of a sudden, a widow walks up, and she puts in two copper pennies, today's currency, together worth half a cent. And Jesus stands up, excited, and says, whoa, bingo! He says, that gal just gave more than everybody else combined. And it, well, Jesus, what are you talking? He said, well, some of the folk gave because there were strictly laws. Some of the folk gave to improve, impress other people. But this gal, she gave everything she had. She knew in her heart that, that she was not living for mammon, for, for money. She was going to invest even what she had, as meager as it was, completely in, in the work of, of, of building of, of the kingdom. Uh, it's a story. It's just a, a man visited by an angel who came to him and said, Hey, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. And the guy said, I want a copy of the Wall Street Journal dated one year from today. And he said, All right, all right, here you go. And the guy turns to the markets and he's saying, <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to do very well with this. Then he looks over on the next page, the obituaries, and he sees his name. Reality is, our money is never going to save us. It's never going to give us the happiness, the life we desire. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, not, not the, the, the market. Uh, a couple of weeks back, Dave and Ruth were, were leaving. Dave and Ruth Snyder were here for, for years, pastor, uh, uh, office manager on staff, but they retired from almost 50 years of ministry. And I remember as I was praying with them before they left, I was thinking, I said, yes, I was thinking, you know, I can imagine that these guys remember, clear as, as anything, uh, the day they started college and the day they met. And, and, and that must have seemed like just yesterday when, they, when they, they entered into ministry. They started their first day of ministry and their young pastor. They, I'm sure they remembered when their, when their children were born and the different things that happened. And it, it probably seemed like just yesterday. And here they are, uh, seemed like just yesterday, but now they're retiring from full-time uh, ministry. And I, I remember telling them, I'm saying, y- y'all, everything's, where does time go? Man, we... We got here in the blink of an eye, and I said, you know what? In a blink of an eye, you, we'll be standing together on the shores of heaven. I mean, the rest is going to be, it's going to go so quick. It's just going to go so quick. And we'll be in heaven going, where did time go? At that point, I think that's when we may realize that generosity really was. We bask in Christ's generosity. It really was the greatest sign, the surest sign of a regenerate heart. Would you pray with me?